Hello and welcome to episode 38 of the NFL Scotland podcast. We're at the Pro Bowl weekend, we've got to get that out of the way, then it's on to the big one. Super Bowl 53 is just a week away. My name is Cameron Hobbs. But rather than focus on the glamour friendly that we've got tonight, we've got something a little bit different. You heard on our last podcast, we caught up with Cameron Craig, the Scotsman who's been based at Southampton, who's heading over to the States. He was due to go to Vegas to play indoor arena football there. However, that hasn't panned out. He's now going out to the Carolina Havoc to spend training camp with them. We heard from Cam about what's going to be happening. We actually reached out to general manager Stephen Smith, and he was only delighted to spend some time. So here's an exclusive interview with the general manager of the Carolina Havoc where we talk about indoor arena football about Cam's opportunities growth of game in the UK and of course we touch on the Super Bowl oh and just to make sure it's super tasty he's a New Orleans Saints fan anyway hope you enjoy this so I'm joined now by the general manager of the Carolina Havoc. Uh, we spoke to Cam Craig in our last podcast so we thought we'd speak to the main man this week good evening Stephen Hey, good evening, Kate. How are you doing, bud? Good, good. Thanks for coming on and joining us. So, let's start off by maybe getting a little bit of an update about yourself and the team. You know, who are the Carolina Havoc? What are they all about? Tell us a bit about the league, that kind of stuff. Sure. So, uh, the Carolina Havoc, we are the defending champion, as I like to say because I'm a wrestling fan, the reigning, defending <laughs> champion of the American Arena League. Um, the American Arena League is a league that's based... Um, up and down the Atlantic coast of the, of the United States and um, in the Midwest now because the league just expanded out to um, Indianapolis, Chicago, and Western Michigan. Wow. Um, so, the, yeah, so the league's comprised of uh, 14 teams. Uh, we're split into four geographically split divisions. Um, last season, we played as the Atlanta Havoc, just outside of Atlanta in the city of Buford. Uh, we finished the season eight and two. Uh, we lost our last two games, but uh, we were the second seed in the playoffs. Um, we played at the Cape Fear Heroes in the semifinal, and then uh, played against the Richmond, uh, the Richmond Rough Riders, who are now the West Virginia Rough Riders um, in the championship. And we beat them fifty-eight to fifty. And uh, the crazy story about that is that so. We're down 27 points at halftime, and we go in the locker room, and our starting quarterback is his 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 locker in the in the in the team room was right next to the door, and so the lads bent over tying his shoes, and another one of the another one of the lads comes in comes in and flings the door open, and they had the guy who gets hit in the head is actually was actually our starting quarterback. Oh. so this dude's bent over, the door flings open. Hits him in the head. He gets a concussion. So now we're going to our backup quarterback in the second to start the second half. But we get the ball to start the second half. So the Rough Riders quarterback, their starting quarterbacks out, unbeknownst to us, with a hamstring injury. So he's he's chilling out with the physio on the sideline, right? Mm-hmm. So the the quarterback for Richmond comes in and. This bloke goes and throws a pick six to start the second half. So the first play is an interception for a touchdown. Two plays later, another interception. We're back on defense. Another interception for a touchdown. Richmond turns the ball over on downs because they missed a field goal because in our league and in our type of football, which I'm sure we'll touch on, there's no punting. Right. So 
So they turn the ball over on downs, and then we score two plays later, and we swing the momentum back in our way, and we were, we were down 27 at the half, and we wound up winning 58-50. Wow. That's like it's been yeah. written by Hollywood. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's crazy because a lot of people came in and said that that it's one of those things just like you cannot – it's one of those common phrases <laughs> where, you know, here in the States where you can't make this stuff up. Totally, like, yep. I mean, it's something – yeah, it's something straight out of a goofy – like a, a goofball, like Will Ferrell type movie. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Absolutely. So, what are the major for people that don't know anything about indoor uh, American football? Then, because there's not a lot of it on TV. I think you used to get some of it every now and then on Eurosport, but really, you're talking our time would be on at three a.m. So, not a huge amount of coverage. But it feels like it's a, a sport that's back in the transcendency. It's on the way up again. Um, so what are the main differences between indoor and the, Amer- uh, the NFL that we used to see? In- yeah, well, let me talk, uh, touch on the, the, the part before that question real quick. So, yeah, so arena football or indoor football, because there's two, there's two distinctly different styles, and I guess this is where we'll get into the, the explanation of it. So with American outdoor football, um, the field is the, the pitch is uh, 110 yards long from the back of the end zone to the back of the other end zone, and the field's and it's 52 yards wide. So it's slightly smaller than a, than a, a rugby pitch, and uh, approximately a couple of yards longer and not as wide as a soccer pitch. Yeah. With arena football, like think of ice hockey, an ice hockey arena. So a typical ice hockey rink, or, uh, a rink, yes. The playing surface is 200 feet long, about 85 feet wide. So imagine taking a piece of, uh, of turf, putting it on top of the ice surface or putting it on the floor surface of where the rink would be, putting pads on the walls that surround that, and you basically have arena football. So it's four downs, just like everybody's, you know, yep. just like everybody's used to. There's throwing and there's hitting, you know, there's catching, running the ball. Um, the only differences between arena football and uh, arena or indoor football and outdoor football is that um, there's no punting on fourth down. So you either go for it to get the first down or you kick a field goal. So, you know, in, in our league, in the American Arena League, we have a, a very unique rule when it comes to kicking where if the kicker kicks the ball between the uprights, that's what we call an uno or, you know, uno you know, in Spanish is one. So it's a one point kick and it can, those unos, if you find the right kicker, can turn the tide of the game. But also, there's a very distinct difference between arena football and indoor football. Arena football, both both games are played with eight men on the side, unlike American uh, American outdoor football, and to some extent soccer because the soccer is eleven v eleven. So American outdoor football and even uh, is played eleven on eleven on eleven, like Canadian football, which is twelve on twelve on a, a very much larger pitch, um, almost, the, almost the width of a rugby pitch, actually. Um, but uh, uh, indoor football is played with a mix of rules from arena football, American outdoor football, and Canadian outdoor football, um, where arena football is played in its truest sense, where it's um, indoor football is two men in motion towards the line of scrimmage, and we have one just like the NFL or American college football has. Yeah. So um, they're really the games are the game, all the games are fast paced. Um, there's a lot of offense in it. There's a lot of passing. Um, there's some running. But as far as the size of of the uh, of the athlete himself, you know, comparatively, 
arena football is the same size lad that you would have if, if you were to be on a, an American or Canadian outdoor team. So, like in Cameron Craig's case, um, you know, Cameron is coming into camp here uh, at six foot four, two hundred ninety six pounds right now. Uh, I told him he needs to put a stone and a half on more, but we all laughed at that. Um, <laughs> but with his height, comparatively, he's about the size of guys that we'll have on our camp roster, and he can size wise, he compares to the other um, the other athletes that play on our team and other teams in arena and outdoor football. So what do you think the biggest challenge Cam's going to have actually coming over? Obviously, he's played the game in the UK, where the standard it can be good. You know, you look at successes like F.A. Obaya at the Panthers, who's just signed another one-year contract. So, you know, he's going to be there again next year. We're starting to see guys appearing through the development league. Some of those have played some football at the UK level. But, you know, what's the biggest challenge you think Cam's going to face coming over to you guys? Well, I think the biggest challenge that Cameron's going to face coming over here you know, push the dysplasia aside. The, 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 the challenge that he's going to face keeping over here is the talent level. Here's the thing, and, and speaking as a coach and a talent evaluator on in, in indoor and outdoor football, comparatively, the footballers, American footballers in Great Britain, uh, in England mostly, compare size-wise to what we call here collegiate division three, um, maybe upper echelon high school players. Yeah. Okay. Um, so Cameron's coming into a situation where I think from a talent standpoint, he's going to have a lot of catching up to do. Um, you know, going into his senior year at university at Southampton, you know, he he contracted pneumonia and lost, like, I think he lost 30 pounds. So I think that would be like, what, two and a half, maybe three stone, yeah. Yeah, something right. like that. Um, and, and you have to forgive me. I, I like kind of know stone a little bit, but I don't know the, the pound equivalent yeah. to that. But I mean, he—I he, know he—I think he lost like maybe two stone after with his pneumonia, and he's been fighting back to physically put all the weight back on. And I know he's uh, in, in talking, speaking with him because I, I usually, I'm now that we've made the signing, um, you know, I, I speak to Cameron almost on a regular basis, and um, so I know he's back in the—I know he's back in the gym training and getting ready to come over here. Um, but from a, a size, I think that's going to be his biggest hurdle. I think from a size perspective, he'll match and fit in with um, the other American players. Um, from a personality standpoint, he'll fit in absolutely perfectly. Yep. Um, but from a football standpoint, there's going to be some challenges, challenges that he's going to have to overcome. And it's just, I think if the t- if what we feel and in the video that we've seen, our, our head coach Anthony Yarborough our owner, Chris Duffy, myself, um, I think from the, the video that we've seen of Cameron, that once he got, starts to play and play against talent, that we think we, we're, we're hopeful that Cameron will rise up to the challenge and meet that challenge and force us to keep him here. If that makes sense. Absolutely. And I think, you know, from speaking to him ourselves, he's certainly got the right mental approach to it. He's certainly got the oh, right physical yeah. approach. It's it's just going to be a case of adapting those skills to something a little bit different. Yeah, and he also and the other thing too is that um I, I can't speak to his coaching at the at, at Southampton. I'm I'm sure he's got I mean, Southampton's got a his collegiate program was very successful on the field. You know, Cameron's got his degree, so you know it's a good university. That, you know, with everything the lad fought through to get to finish university, to be able to to matriculate and graduate, you know, it, it says something about Cam as a person, 
that says something about South, the, the Southampton Stags themselves as a program and as a university. But I don't think that the, the coaching, that's the other thing that Cam is going to have to adjust to here too, is that the fact that American coaches are used to coaching the lads in a certain way. So it would be like if you put it in the in like in, in, in football parlance, right? So you take a manager that maybe you know managed to manage the side, say in in Spain for X number of years, and then you put him you put him into um, like he managed like a first uh, first division side in Spain, and now you have or like let's say no a better a better way to put it would be like take a manager of a Sunday league team yeah. and put him on a Premier League side yeah. Because you coach Sunday league players completely, you manage Sunday league players tactically and and coaching wise completely different than you would say, you know, footballers that are at the Premier League or League One or whatever, right? Yep. So that's kind of like comparatively what we're talking about from a coaching standpoint. Because um, uh, from my, speaking from speaking from past experience myself, going from coaching high school, you know, going from coaching professional players and being in that professional environment, even the collegiate environment. Down to high school, you know, there's a completely different way to coach. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, that's something that we have to, you know, it's something that's going to be, a, you know, it's just something that cameras going to, that's a, something that cameras going to have to get used to. Totally. And, you know, we're looking forward to catching up with him and getting more updates as he goes. What's the ultimate goal then for the Havoc this year? Is it a case of repeat? Do you want to go all the way again? Or is this more a case of rebuild, restructure, uh, get used to the new name and the new location and all that sort of stuff? You know, you know what's funny, Cameron, is that um, there was a guy on Facebook over the week, uh, at the end of last week who picked us to finish third because, you know, we moved here and I'm a new GM, we have a new head coach, a guy who's never been a head coach before at any level of football, he just retired from playing. What he didn't pay attention to was that if he really looked at what we're, you know, like what we've announced on Facebook, we've got a championship coaching staff. We're putting together a championship roster. Our plan is not to just compete. Our plan is to repeat. And when I talk in terms of, when I talk in terms of our potential partners here, our sponsorship partners here in Florence, you know, about the possibility of what we're going to do, it's not if we make the playoffs. Or if we, you know, get a home game, it's when we have the championship game here, because that's how confident I am. You know, yeah. I am the general manager, but I've got my hands on the sales side and the football side, and I can speak to you on the football side completely and totally in confidence, and say that the roster that we've put together, from the starting quarterback all the way to the kicker, can compare to any team in arena football. Period. At any level, that's teams in the indoor football league. Arena football, the Arena Football League, the National Arena League. We we can compete with the roster we have, the players and the talent that we have coming in, the coaching staff that we have put together. We can compete with anybody at this type of football and be very confident that walking we're going to walk off the field with victory in hand. So we're not we're not trying to repeat. We're not rebuilding, and I'm, I'm, I, I say this in complete and total honesty. We're not rebuilding. We're just reloading, and we're just getting started. Brilliant. Love that. Um, and what a great place for Cam to come and play straight as well. On the back of that, then, if Cam comes over and is a huge success, if he can not only come into the team but nail down a regular start and is a success, does that make the British game 
and the British market a viable option for you in the future? And do you think it will yes. give that opportunity for other teams in the setup to make maybe look across the pond and go, oh, hang on a minute, there's some talent over there? Yeah, absolutely. Um, one thing, one of my mantras has always been, I do things differently. And um, I've developed relationships with uh, 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 with teams in, in other parts of North America, um, with other in other leagues, and we're trying to bring uh, some other foreign talent in as well, because there are some untapped talent markets that haven't been looked at. Mexico, uh, Great Britain, um, you know, uh, England, especially, uh, you know, France, Germany, you know, um, Italy, you know, yeah. Ser- you know, Serbia, you know, places where American football is starting to explode, you know, and you know. Been putting together a talent pool, be able to look into that talent pool and go, okay, what can we get out of this and what can we bring over? And I think if Cameron is successful here, other teams in our league, other teams in arena football, because the NFL is already, the NFL and major colleges and universities here in the States are already starting to look to Europe. And for years they've looked to Canada, right? Because comparatively, from a player, from a, from a size standpoint, uh, defensive line, offensive line, linebackers, fullbacks, tight ends. You can take kids out of the Canadian game because it is a bigger field. The splits on the offensive line are a lot wider. The splits is the spacing between the offensive linemen. So the splits in the offensive line are wider. It's a bigger game. There's more guys that go in motion. But now, like, and it all really started with Moritz Wagner getting drafted by the Vikings three, four years ago, yeah. right? Yeah. So Morris Wagner, you know, six foot uh, six foot eight tight end from Germany, played in GFL, and you know, with the Vikings drafting him and bringing him over and his success, because now Morris is, I think, on his third NFL team. He's going to be on his. I think he's coming into his second contract or coming out of his second track contract, going into his third. Um, you know, it, it, now more teams are starting to look to um, look to other countries. Um, um, Jordan Matilla, um, I can't remember the young man. Um, he was a, a, a rugby player from Australia um, who was drafted by the Philadelphia Eagles this past, yes. this past, yeah, this yeah. past season. And, you know, 20, uh, 24, 25-year-old, uh, he was a frontline guy for rugby. Um, big old huge hunking dude who, you know, physically was built like an offensive lineman, but he was a rugger, you know. Um you know, his success because he's stuck on the roster the whole season. Yeah. You know, it's successes like that that give players like Cameron the opportunity and the hope that maybe they can come over here to the States and, and make a name for themselves. It, it doesn't have to be a huge name. It's just people, you know, if, he, if he's successful and he sticks and he makes our makes our, our, our opening 25-man roster, you know, and then makes it onto the, the, our opening game roster on, on March the 15th, uh, March the fifteenth, seven oh five Eastern Daylight, Eastern Standard Time here in Florence against the Cape Fear Heroes. Tickets available now. Um, <laughs> always gonna get that plug in, you know. Quite always, right. Always got to do promotion. I, you know, <laughs> I am a party at heart. I am Irish, so there you go. Um, no, but I, I think if Cameron, with with Cameron, if he can come here and be successful, you know, other teams at our level of football will go. Wait a minute, they took a chance on a Brit, on uh, a Scotsman. You know, who played in Great Britain? Yep. Why not? So, what's not to say we can't find the next guy? Yeah, no, you know, definitely. Because, yeah. So, I mean, it, I, I think the part because it, it, knowing what I know about American football in Europe, 
over the course of the last seven to ten years, it's freaking exploded. Yeah. You know, now with now with the International Association of American Football or football international international American Football Association, I think that's what it is. IAFA. Um, IAFA is now an official officially recognized governing body by the IOC, which is the first step into becoming an Olympic sport. Yeah. If you can bring, if you, because the upcoming Summer Olympics in Japan is bringing in surfing and skateboarding to the Olympics. Yeah. Dude, yeah. if you're bringing freaking surfing <laughs> into the Olympics <laughs> and they're bringing back baseball and softball, why the hell can you not bring in American football? I'm telling you because they brought rugby in, and they brought rugby in in the last summer games in Rio, and it was a smashing success. Yeah, they brought golf in in Rio, which was a smashing success. What's not to say that like the sports of lacrosse and American football are going to be, you know, the next the next great Olympic sports? Uh, absolutely, yeah. and I think that is, it, you know, it's one of those things. It's it's still niche over here. So very randomly, you mentioned lacrosse there. My sister-in-law actually represented Scotland at lacrosse in America many, many years ago, a long time before I ever met her. Um, but, you know, there was players playing these sports, but they are still on the edge. You know, obviously, soccer, our football is number one, rugby becomes second. The Andy Murray effect has resulted in a few more people playing tennis. Like tennis but but yeah. even that's probably not had the uplift that you would expect it would. However, I feel like the you know American football is going through a growth. Um, obviously, you see the game selling out in London for the NFL every year. There's demand there for more and more and more. Um, attending some of the local games here, you know, we've got the Edinburgh Wolves in Scotland that are probably the best team in Scotland. Um, they, you know, their attendances creep up every year, which is great to see. And part of that is why our pod exists. We want to get the word out there. Uh, you know, so obviously talking about indoor and arena football is absolutely something we want to do, especially when there's a Scotsman involved. You know, that's right. absolutely gives us a tie-in, which is absolutely brilliant. And, you know, we're so excited to see how Cam gets on. And like you say, you know, to, to get found on the radar, you have to get on the radar in the first right. place. And that's the opportunity, I think, that you've got there. So, I, brilliant. I, 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 and you're absolutely correct. And the thing about it is, is like, so to kind of speak on the past district arena football in Europe, Okay, so the Arena Football League itself, which is kind of like in in our style of, of indoor arena football, is kind of, kind of considered like the premier league of arena football, mm. of indoor arena football, right? So the Arena Football League back in the mid-90s used to do a European tour, and I think they played some games in London. I know they played games in Paris, and I think some places in Germany, I want to say maybe... Uh, Maybe Berlin. I'd have to look on it. There's a, a whole website that's dedicated to all things arena football, which is an arena fan. Um, it's kind of like if you wanted like to know all about arena football and its history, the teams in the actual arena football league, arena fan would be the place to go because it basically it's like a, the Wikipedia of arena football. Yeah. Um, but they, it was successful, and there was always talk of maybe bringing the game to Europe because of the number of basketball and hockey arenas because a lot of times in, there's some dead time in the spring between the end of the Euro basketball season and coming to the end of the hockey season you know where at some point I think in the spring and early summer or maybe the late or the fall where you know the ham yeah. where, where pro handball and pro volleyball kind of fall into some places um, 
you know, the ability to book, an, to book a venue and put a field in there and, and play and play a game. Now, I will tell you that the Arena Football League had a, a, an offshoot league, and it's actually coming back this upcoming spring, called the China the Chinese Arena Football League, where they played in six cities. They did a barnstorming tour, which means that they went from city they went from city to city to city in a matter of eight weeks. Hmm. And they played doubleheaders in, in every venue um, because there were four teams in that league. I uh, know there were six teams in that league, so there was one game on Friday night, and they have a doubleheader on Saturday. So each venue got three games in two days. And the Chinese people, you know, they responded to it well because American football is just really, like, ridiculously starting to emerge in China just like baseball is. Um, You know, so it's one of those things where if you can get it in the right places, like in the U.K., if you can get it, like, in Scotland or in England or move into, you know, Eastern and Central Europe and France and Germany, you know, where – you know, there's multiples of hockey arenas that are big enough. They, they don't need to be, you know, 10, 20, 30,000 seat palaces like you would see, like, in the Premier League in Scotland and England, yeah. or even, like, Serie A or, you know, La Liga or anything like that. You just you just need some place where there's, like, five to 6,000, 7,000 people with the ceilings big enough, high enough to where you can kick a ball and throw it and not worry about hitting a scoreboard or a sound, or like, a, a speaker cluster. Yeah. You know, which is what, you know, there there are those things, you know, from a logistical standpoint in some buildings in, in our game, you know, regardless of the level that we play on, that, that occurs in. Yeah. Totally. You know, so it's just, I think it's, I think it's one of those things where, you know, like if you can, like with Cameron coming over here and playing for us, if we can expose the folks of Scotland and other parts of the UK, you know, and, and develop a fan following, um, you know, to our game because I really, truly, I don't, I haven't worked in arena football and indoor football for this long if I didn't believe in it. Yeah. You know, and I, it's something that I'm, I'm truly passionate about. I have friends that are Hall of Famers in the Arena Football League. I have friends that have, uh, I have former teammates who are some of my best mates. You know, outside of football. Um, you know, and it's all because of it's all because of arena football. And I'm, I'm just I'm a huge believer in it. And I think that once, if Cameron can make it through camp and make it on our roster, and once, once you know, the folks in Scotland and, and other parts of the UK, once y'all see our product and see how, what the game's like, you're going to be just like me when I was 14, 15 years old and first watching a game on ESPN. You're going to fall in love with it. Yeah. And it's going to stick with you. You're going to be like, when's the next arena football season? You know, the NFL is great, but it's shite compared to, you know, compared to arena football. So that. <laughs> that needs to go in a T-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell me. I, 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 I can do that. Um, I, do you know what? And I have to say, I think if Cam can make it through camp onto the roster, you'll have a whole bunch of international Scottish Carolina Havoc fans. That's for sure. Um, well, while you're here, though, it would be absolutely a mess. Obviously, we're in the run-up to the Super Bowl. I need to get your thoughts on the, the big game. Oh, it's not as good God. as the Arena League, but we still need your input nonetheless. Yeah, you're going to hurt my heart talking about this because I'm a diehard. New- I'm from New Orleans, and I'm a diehard Saints fan. Well, let's yeah. touch on that first, then. Let's touch on that first. Is it the worst no-call in football history? <laughs> is the Pope Catholic? Yeah, <laughs> that's all we need to say about that, right? Okay. I mean, I mean, Cameron, man, look, <laughs> I, I can sit here and I can defend. I can, I can tell you what the referees 
you know, like I can sit here and get, I've been around football for so long. I, I can tell you like where the referees were positioned, why they were positioned there. The fact of the matter is, is that there were two officials that the call occurred in front of. It was the worst no call in the history of American football. Yeah. Like, and there's just no two ways about it. Every single member of the media, every footballer, you know, every American football, anybody who knows anything about the sport of American football will tell you that it, 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 even there was some book that ran a simulation on Madden and turned the pass interference all the way down and committed a pass interference call that same exact way, and that was called pass interference. <laughs> it was the fact that it could have even been just for the helmet-to-helmet contact as well. I mean, it was, it was shocking. Well, okay, so here, to kind of give you a little bit of insight into how, like, from a, from a coaching perspective, okay? So, first of all, the Saints play calling is kind of like I love Sean Payton okay I got a man crush on him my brother-in-law looks like him one of my best <laughs> friends used to work for the Saints one of the kids that played for us at Nickel State University is on the equipment staff there so I, I, I got there's a kid that grew up next door to me that does sales for him so yeah I'm kind of invested in the Saints so here's the thing okay some of the play calling is kind of questionable in the second half especially in the overtime first of all the tight end that the ball was thrown to in the first quarter who dropped the ball in the back of the end zone yeah. If he doesn't drop that ball, we're not talking about this pass interference call. No. Because that sets the Saints up for success. They go into halftime, even if they kick three field goals, they got three field goals and a touchdown, and they're up 20 to nothing at the half. Instead, it's two field goals, we're up, you know, what we were up at half. And then the second half is just we couldn't get the golf. The play column was kind of meh. You know, and then the overtime, the play column was kind of meh. But that pass interference call, okay. From a coaching's perspective, at, at that point in the overtime, if that call is made, if that if that call is made, and everything that's come out, and everybody that said that you've basically taken the Saints out of the Super Bowl is completely true. Like it's wrong how how we got did. So, here's the thing. So if that call gets made, what winds up happening is that the the face that if, if both calls are made on that play, if both if both fouls, so the face to face kind, the head to head contact. And then the pass interference. The face-to-face contact is going to get declined, and the the pass interference would be automatically enforceable with a, for, with a first down at the spot of the foul. That happened at the nine-yard line, so you have first and goal inside the nine with the Saints offense. There's no way in hell that any person who knows anything about football can sit here and tell me that the Saints don't score on that drive if they don't get that ball. Yeah. You know, and then to go and, and then to have now look. The Rams, now, let's give the officials their due credit because they called a completely crappy game because the Saints committed their fair share of penalties that weren't called. So both teams were allowed to play. Yeah. Okay? That the Rams, you know, you got to give full faith and you got to give full due credit because I'm a Sean McVay guy. I love Sean McVay. You know, I like the Rams. Um, I'll get to that in a second. But, you know, Zerline, one of the best kickers in, in, in the game of, in, in the NFL today, you know, there's no way that you leave him at that part of the field, at, at, um, at, at that position on the field, and give him that opportunity. Because Zerline had hit a 63-yard field goal, 61-yard field goal yeah. at one point in his career. His career long, you know, like he's like nearly perfect. I think he's like 90% from 50-plus in his career. You're going to, like, come on, dude. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, 
honestly, like I lived in Boston for three years, so I became a Patriots fan. I like Belichick. I like everything that the Patriots have done. But it's getting old hat. That's why the ticket prices for the Super Bowl are plummeting like they are right now because this is the Patriots, what, 10,000th time being in the Super Bowl? <laughs> feels it's like a, it. Like, yeah. It feels like it. It's a record ninth time. Nine times. You ever <laughs> seen You ever seen first Bueller's Day Off? Nine times they've been in a Super Bowl, right? So this is getting to be old hat. And, you know, this is nine times in the last 20 years that this team has played in the last 15 years that this play, that this team has played in the Super Bowl. It's you know the ticket the the the, the secondary ticket monster market. I guarantee those prices are going to plummet next week because nobody's going to buy a ticket to go to the game. And besides, which who wants to sit through a halftime of Maroon Five songs anyway? <laughs> but, That's another and, point you know, altogether. Here, here's the thing. <laughs> and this is the same thing I say about um, about Nick about Nick Saban, who's the head coach, the head football coach, at the University of Alabama. Saban and Belichick, their dads are completely alike. They were two completely alike men, even though they were from two different parts of the country. Those two guys are cut from the same cloth. They do everything pretty much the same. Yet you give Belichick two weeks with the defensive with the defensive staff and often with the staff that he has, they're going to come. They're going to devise a game plan that's going to be really good. Now, here's the other side of it. You give Sean Bavay two weeks, and he's going to come up with so many gimmick plays, it's not even worth it. Yeah. It's crazy. It, this, like, on paper, you're saying, okay, well, the Patriots have the experience. The Rams are the new guys on the block. You know, you got a 32-year-old head coach as opposed to a guy that's got 17 billion years of experience and a coaching staff that has, like, 7 trillion years of experience. And, you know, they've got Tom Brady. And the Patriots, it, everybody thinks the Patriots, Patriots, Patriots. This is going to kill me to say this. The Rams take the, the Rams win the Super Bowl. <laughs> right, and it's, okay. And, it, and, and it's not going to be a defensive game. This is going to be a track meet. If, if a to uh, Tlaib and the rest of that secondary aren't on top of their game like they weren't in the first half against the Saints this past Sunday, yeah. Brady's going to throw the ball over the top. He's going to throw to Brock. He's going to throw... To, uh, to he's gonna he's Stephen uh, Michelle he's gonna Edelman he's gonna, Danny Amendola is gonna ask for a trade back to the back to the Patriots so he can win another Super Bowl trophy um, Raymond Barry is gonna come back alive I mean you know it's gonna be crazy you know um, Victor Kayyem is gonna resurrect the dead and he's gonna want to catch a ball because it's gonna be that easy but but seriously though I mean look McVay's got a great staff I mean with. With, with Wade Phillips as his defensive coordinator, and Wade's the Super Bowl winning coach. You know, he's the coordinator for the Broncos when they won Super Bowl 50. Um, and who did they beat? Oh, that's right. They beat the Panthers, who are 0-2 in a Super Bowl lifetime. And who else is in our division? Oh, that's right. The Atlanta Falcons are 0-2 in a Super Bowl in a lifetime. There's only two teams in our division that can say that they won a Super Bowl. They're 1-0, and that's the Saints and the and the Buccaneers. Yeah, yeah. So if you're a, if you're a, a Falcons fan or if you're a, a a Carolina Panthers fan and you're listening to this, I'm sorry. <laughs> We're just better than you and you and we know it. Have a nice day. Um, I, I say that out of complete love and respect. Of course. <laughs> not a single not a single chance. As general um, manager of the Carolina Havoc, you got <laughs> keep them sweet somehow. Right? Look, we're in South Carolina. <laughs> yeah. if, if, if I was a 
was the general manager of the Carolina Energy who were in Charlotte, yeah. I would probably be singing a different tune. <laughs> but I'm in South Carolina in my heart. I, I have a 504 area number, an area code on my phone. My heart belongs to the New Orleans Saints, always has, always will. I'll bleed black and gold to the day I'm, on, I'm not on this earth. Two years in a row, we're getting two years in a row in the playoffs. We get killed by heartbreak. Yeah, it's just you know, last season, you know, the miracle of Minnesota, and now the worst no call. At some point, you know, it's like we waited. uh, I waited a lifetime. I'm like a Red Sox, Boston Red Sox fan. I waited a (laughs) lifetime to see us win the Super Bowl to even get the to get in the Super Bowl and win it, much less. And now I'm like holding my breath for the next one. And you know, it's just like any. It's just like the you know. The other, you know, the Saints are just like every other team in the NFL. All 32 teams, when the season concludes, they got to do the best they can to hold the to hold the thing together. Luckily for us, there's not a lot of con- as a, speaking as a Saints fan, there's not a lot of contracts that are up for us. We're not going to have the problems in free agency in the draft that other teams would have. And so I'm, I'm kind of hoping that Mickey Loomis, Sean Payton, can keep the um, uh, can kind of keep the nucleus of this team together. Um, you know, keep it keep the defense intact, and probably just make slight upgrades in the secondary. Although the secondary like came around from like week six on, with the team added Eli Apple through a trade from the Giants. Yeah. You know, the um, Marshall Lamar, he didn't have as great of a, a, a sophomore season as he did a rookie season, but still was good nonetheless. You know, um, you know, next I just great year. things for the Saints next year. But the Super Bowl, I, I'm not going to put a score on it because I don't like giving scores, but. Like, if you hit me, like, Cameron, I'll tell you this. If you hit me on Skype by the middle of the second quarter, I'll tell you who wins the game. Right. But right. <laughs> speaking, like, from my heart and from a football perspective, I really think the Rams are going to take this game. They're young. They're hungry. McVay is a dynamic coach. He's a dynamic personality. Um, Tom Brady is with all of his greatness. Gronk with all of his greatness. They've been there before, so it's going to be old hat to them. I mean, look, two years ago, they had to come back again. They, you know, they, they overcame a 28-3 deficit to win the game on, to win uh, to win it in overtime against the Falcons. Nothing's to say that they can't do it because they've overcome deficits like that before. If you look at what the Patriots did against the Seahawks, you know, and we all know that beast mode should have had the ball right there. Yep. Don't even talk to me about that. I'm still bitter <laughs> about that. That was five years ago. Um but yeah, I really, I think the Rams. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm so long-winded, dude. But I think the Rams are going to take it. That's that's my prediction. Perfect. No, that's a good shout. Um, brilliant. Well, Stephen, thank you so much for joining us on this pod. It's been really great catching up with you, and hopefully, we'll speak to you again at some point during the season to find out how the havoc and hopefully Cam are getting on for you. Oh, thanks a lot. And just to let you, and just to let the, the fans out there know how they can kind of keep up with us on social media. Yeah. Our website is www.carolinahavocfootball.com. We're on we're on the Facebook, as I like to say. We're on the Facebook. It's at Carolina Havoc Arena Football. We're on the Twitter machine, and that is at Arena Havoc. And we're also on Instagram, all lowercase, at Carolina underscore Havoc. And then you can get merchandise, um, you know, if you want to, if you want to, you know, get uh, – Get some gear from the Havoc. You can uh, on our website. You just click the gear link. It takes you to our web store. We have four shirts available that start at nineteen ninety nine US. Brilliant, fantastic. That's great, Stephen. Like I say, if uh, Cam makes it onto that roster, I reckon you'll have quite a few Scottish fans following. Uh, I hope so. I hope so, Cameron. Thanks for your time. I really appreciate it, brother. Thank you. 
So we hope you enjoyed that really fascinating chat with Stephen and someone who I think we'll definitely have on the podcast again in the future. Uh, do make sure that you give the Carolina Havoc some following and some support. You know, anything that we can do to just show them how important it would be to have a Scotsman on their team. Absolutely. Anyway, like I say, myself and Paul will be back later in the week where we'll be running down a full Super Bowl preview. But until then, thanks for listening. We hope you've enjoyed it. Bye for now.